If someone around you has a habit that annoys you to no end, there might be more to the story than meets the eye. In this episode, we discuss how to respond to frequent annoyances. I'm Sharif Yunus with Dr. Kevin Majors. This is The Golden Hour. Before we get started with today's episode, I want to tell you about our new masterclass. Now, if you think working better means longer hours, just trying harder, or sacrificing relationships, then think again. In this four-week masterclass, now available on OptimWork.com, Dr. Kevin Majors will guide you through the key ideas and the practice that will help you transform your approach to work. Now let's get started. Welcome to another episode of The Golden Hour. I'm Sharif Yunus here with Dr. Kevin Majors. Kevin, thanks for joining us again. Yeah, Sharif, uh, thanks for having me back. Of course. Well, we've been uh, talking a lot more lately about reframing and getting a lot, getting into that topic more. And we've also been talking more about relationships and bonds and how to deepen those within the context of work. And one thing we've been talking about recently, you and I, is, is a pitfall that people can fall into when it comes to relationships. And I thought it would be a great idea to discuss for this episode. So could you uh, tell us a little bit more about this pitfall? Yeah. So we've been talking about what happens when you are habitually complaining about others. So the, the problem in, in you know, with, with training your attention to notice the negative is that it, you just, it gets easier and easier to see it. And what happens when you're, you know, what can happen with other people, especially people that you, you live with or work closely with, that you just start noticing the things that annoy you. And every time you're around this person, you start to expect it to annoy you. And then sure enough, it happens and it annoys you again. So it, people, you know, can very easily get critical of those who are closest to them where now it's just all the things it starts adding up and adding up that, you know, you just keep, no, you know, all these, you know, it's like the list of things that keeps expanding. Um, I think that that's a kind of unique case of reframing when you're having to get rid of your negative bias about another person. And that's what I thought would be good for us to talk about here today. What are the, the kind of contexts in which this occurs is it, is it, it's, it seems to me typically to be about kind of small things that are, you know, minor on their own and, and actually probably up, it's, it's just your opinion that they're bad. Yeah, you could think of, you know, people you could, like a, a married couple where, uh, you know, I've, I've had patients where it's the sound of his spouse chewing that just drove him crazy. So he couldn't eat with her anymore. So, because just the sound of the chewing, now that's called misophonia. Um, it's treatable, actually, and, and, and people, people can work through that. But it's a lot like this, where you start to notice it and it starts to bother you. Sometimes then people start thinking, oh, he's just or she's just doing it to bother me. So sometimes they start like seeing a negative, some kind of bad intention in the other person doing it this way, as, as if it's just to bother them. They start predicting then that they're going to do these annoying things. And then 
yep, sure enough, the prediction gets confirmed. So there's this kind of pattern, I think, where essentially you select out something and you get bothered by it, and then it becomes a prediction you make that, yep, he's going to do it again. And the really weird thing I think about this is that there is a kind of satisfaction that we get when these predictions are confirmed. It's weird, but it's like, oh, he, he, he left the window open again. You know, they're, they're you know, so it's like, you know, say, uh, you know, someone's, uh, you know, borrowing a car or doing something, you know, it's like, you know, or they, you know, the uh, whatever, whatever it might be. It's like, oh, they did it again. You know, and just having made, now there is something in deep in our brains that our brains love making predictions. And a lot of what we talk about in Optimum Work is how to shape that process. Um, in fact, setting the stage for golden hour is all about breaking through the kind of power of these predictions to make a status quo. But it happens a lot in interacting with other people that we have a prediction of what they're going to do. And when it gets confirmed, it's kind of satisfying for the brain. And, and so in some ways, it can actually get, just having your predictions confirmed can be a little bit energizing. But that's a really unhealthy dynamic in your relationship, especially if it's like, you know, two people who are kind of getting critical of each other. And then both of them get this kind of perverse satisfaction from having their negative predictions actually be confirmed. Is it possible for it to happen the other way around where it's your predictions get met for, for positive things. And this could be a really po- I mean, is, is that an important part of posi- of good relationships or is the whole phenomenon just kind of where you're constantly measuring other people's behavior and expecting things? Is that whole thing just weird? I think that when people have, let's say like a habit of gratitude, gratitude is a powerful, it's an emotion, it's an attitude, it's a reframe, being appreciative of other people, being grateful for them. And I think that whenever you try to make your attention focus on something you really love or appreciate about the other person, in fact, you do start to notice that more easily too. So just being grateful or telling someone that you're grateful for something, you know, it, it, you start to notice it more. So, and so there's a training of attention that takes place with gratitude. And so it is, I think, the exact flip of what takes place when, when you start complaining interiorly about other people and then getting annoyed by them. Um, the funny thing about when we get critical of others is I think it is basically always off base. There's something kind of silly and useless about it. And so, like, I don't know. Sometimes, um, you know, when, you know, it, it can happen, for instance, that I'm treating two members of one family, and you can see this dynamic play out. And when that, uh, and that, when that happens, if one person is really critical of the other a lot, I've always felt like I don't get useful information from that. It's not like they're picking up on, oh, all the real deep core issues of this other person and then you know, in some constructive way. It tends to be really petty things that just, they don't really say much about the other person at all. Or even what I think is more deep, it's actually the virtues of the other person that are in some way being like misperceived. And in fact, there is, might be like a dominant note in the other person, you know, of how thorough they are or the attention, the detail they, they have. But then it gets called, it gets spun in some negative way. 
and then, the, and then it, it keeps getting noticed as if the person's doing it with the bad intention. So you know, it's, it's like, you know, the, you know, the person may actually just be very thorough cleaning up after, you know, say doing the dishes at night and cleaning the, the countertop, you know, but you can imagine someone's getting really critical of that person. Then, you know, they might see it. It's just, oh, they're, it's just, a, they're, they're being a neat freak or they're being really OCD about this or, you know, who knows what they might, might actually be. But there's some sense in which many times, I, and I think this is really helpful if we find ourselves getting critical of others, you know, that it actually can be a very powerful thought. What if it's actually a good quality in them and I'm just misperceiving it? And that's a good way of giving the other person a very generous benefit of the doubt. So even like, and this I encourage people to do, just assume that what is bothering you about the other person is a reflection of some virtue that they have. Okay, then how could that shape your view of this? And then sometimes people do come back and say, actually, that it is actually, a, a, you know, like one of, this is the flip side maybe, or just another aspect of what actually is a real strength of this person. For someone listening to this who might be thinking, uh-oh, I kind of do this sometimes. Uh, is it, would that be your advice for helping them overcome this kind of critical attitude that they might have is, I guess, in the moment when they find themselves being critical, that they should try to flip it and follow this kind of thought exercise of how could this actually be a virtue? I think so. That's like the first thing is I tell them just let's just assume that this is actually a really good quality that they have somehow it's galling you because it's, it's, it's being misperceived. Okay, now that is, a, is, a, is, is it's kind of like tough advice for sometimes, but it does flip situations around totally. And you just have to be in the midst of one of these things when you're dealing with someone who's gotten super critical of another person to see how surprisingly true it might be. And I think in my own life, in little ways, if something that someone else does, you know, you know, if I'm, you know, it's uh, noticing something in another person and it starts to kind of, you know, rub me the wrong way. Often, it, you know, there, there is a case where if I think about it, it, there is a really good quality this person has that's behind it. And just sometimes I'm in a bad mood or I'm just misperceiving it, and it you know, but really it is that good quality. Now, but that actually gets to the, ne- the next thing, which is even more to the point that when something some, about someone else really bothers us, it's much more likely that we do the same thing, you know? And so, you know, and that if we were to really honestly examine ourselves, we would see that we do the exact same thing or the exact same kind of thing, you know, and, you know, perhaps even more than this other person does, you know? So sometimes it's like when we really work on that quality in ourselves and overcome it, we just stop noticing it in other people. But until then, it can really stand out and bother us. So that's an even more challenging bar. If you're really getting constantly annoyed by another person, whatever the defect is, what would it be like for you to just assume that in some way you have it or something very much like it? And that's why it's bothering you so much. Because I've seen this many times where, you know, that uh, if someone is complaining about someone else, that it's often much more the case that their complaints are exactly true of them. Now, sometimes it's hard to tell the person that directly. So I get to say it here in a very generic way. 
But, um, but there is a sense when people get really critical of others that they get a little bit blind to their own case. How do you distinguish between these, the kind of off-the-mark critical judgments and maybe something that would actually be helpful for the person to know and to change their behavior to, for them to grow? Well, I think that if people have gotten into the critical state or developed a kind of you know, critical attitude towards another person, in my experience, um, and this, you know, I've been helping people in therapy and mentoring for you know, 25 years or something in one way or another, in my experience, it's always useless. You just don't get useful things for others to work on from a person who's being critical of that person. You know, and so, yes, everyone has things to work on. Everyone has things to grow in. But once you are like, if, if, once you're, you have a person or you yourself are making like these negative predictions, they're constantly getting confirmed. I know that those negative predictions are warping perception. That's what they do. The very fact that it's like, oh, he did it again. That dynamic, it just means that there's not greater clarity. It's actually more warped. And so people are, are uh, you know, get fixated on certain defects. And, and what I'm talking about really in its, in its highest degree, it really becomes like a monomania. It becomes a fixation. And I think this happens often in, in, you know, in married couples, but it also happens in business context where there's a real fixation on some, other, some supposed defect in the other. Well, you know, so I can, so if I was working with someone who has that fixation, then I'd want to see gently how can they have a more appreciative view of the other person? Maybe that's a virtue that they're seeing and they're misperceiving it. And two, how could they themselves work on the very thing that bothers them in the other person? Kind of like assume it's a kind of practice of extreme ownership. That if someone else is bothering you, yeah, you just need to fully own the growth that's going to occur there. It's not like you divvy up growth. When you're being critical of someone else, you're just like you're just passing all the growth onto them as if they have all these things to improve. I think it's a much, much wiser thing that you totally own the growth and say, I, you, what you have is most likely a virtue. What's annoying me, that is because it's precisely the thing I have to grow in. And once you try practicing extreme ownership, you know, when you get critical of others, it is a solution. It is not an easy solution, but it does solve it, actually. And, and, so, and you feel cleansed. Once you own up to it and say, okay, I'm going to work harder on, on growing in this, it's the exact flip from the kind of problem solving you might do when you're being critical of someone else. Because that problem solving, I think, again, is useless. Usually the things that really gall us and annoy us are not the real things the person needs to work on. They're somehow being exaggerated and distorted. But once you improve your own self in those very things, the distortion is actually gone. To what extent does this relate to a kind of growth mindset? And the, the reason why I bring this up is because, you know, someone who's critical of someone else, they might think, well, I'm just helping them to grow. I also kind of reflect on people, uh, a, a concept that we've, I think we've talked about before, which is the inner critic. And to what extent the inner critic of kind of being critical of yourself 
in this way is related to being critical of others. And if they're the same thing, is it just kind of having us a, a wrong view of what growth is? Yeah, I think it is. I think it's the delegation of growth to others, like passing the growth on to other people, which in some way is, you know, one, if you have a really fixed view of yourself, you're going to tend to do that more and more. Like to the extent you think you're not going to change, you make, you, you just like, that kind of forces you to pass on then whatever growth has to occur to other people which actually means you blame them and you put the responsibility on them to change. And so once you get, and that's what happens when people are critical of others, they're just seeing that the other person here is the one who needs to change. So that's what I'm trying to get at with this idea of, you know, assume then, in fact, it's a good thing in the other person and it's what you need to work on and flip it around so that now, you know, which would be scary. I think maybe it's good you bring this up. And if people have a really fixed mindset about themselves, like they could never change, then they could make them feel like, oh man, now I'm toast. You know, that, but I think it does, if they really apply their intelligence to think, what are the things I need to improve in here? What are the ideals I need to grow in? How can I deepen this bond right now with this person? It opens up opportunities for change to break through some kind of status quo so that they're, they're able now to approach it in a new way. And that idea of when you have a real growth mindset, um, you don't take everything you do or another person does as being the eternal expression of some everlasting state of being. You know, it's just an end of one. And sometimes people are off. Sometimes people are in a bad mood. Who knows? You know, and so you like, um, but the ability to experience the behavior of another as an N of one is actually a high degree of mindfulness. And when I say N of one, it means you're always treating it like it's the first time. Because from that person's perspective, it is kind of unique. You know, you may, um, you know, it's like, you know, say it, it annoys you that another person shuts doors in a loud way. Not to say fully slams, but they're just kind of loud and shutting them. Well, in your mind, if you're getting critical about it, it's like, oh, this is the 107th time in the last month that the person has done it. You know, as if there's like an end of 107, you know, it's 107 different incidents. But from that poor person's perspective, it's just one time they're shutting the door right now and <laughs> maybe they did it a little too loudly. So, but what happens when people are, I get frustrated with others and are making these negative predictions is they're just grouping together all the bad things that annoy them as if, you know, it's like some huge set. And their anger and frustration is usually in response to that huge set, not to this little single instance right now. So to wisely respond to other people, you just respond right now to the single instance of whatever the behavior is. Otherwise, you know, you get this like imaginary expansion of the set where now it's like you're responding to the thousand times they did it in the past and the infinite times they'll do it in the future if you don't stop them now. So does that make sense? Like it all gets grouped together and then your anger or frustration responds to the whole grouping, not just this one little thing that just happened. Yeah, that, I think that's an interesting way of looking at it. it. It also occurred to me as you were speaking that there might be a tie in here with the left brain, right brain way of seeing things that with the right brain, you're, you might just be open to the person and 
to seeing what's good about the person and who that person is. Whereas with the left brain, you kind of get into rules and thinking of this person according to a model that you have of them, that whenever they're in this situation, that they do this thing. That's exactly it. Yes, that's exactly it. That's the whole prediction. But that prediction is just you're, you're experiencing a model of the other person, not the reality of the other person. And that's why sometimes it's cool when you meet people that, you know, in, in, in real life that you've only heard about from others. And you realize, whoa, actually interacting with this person is very different than what this other person's model would have predicted. Uh-huh. So, uh-huh. Well, Kevin, uh, that's all our time for today. Uh, do you have any final thoughts you'd like to leave us with? You know, I think that one thing is just trying to see, um, you know, as people are listening to this, you know, in the court, as the week goes on, um, when you get frustrated with other people, see, is there anything there? Was there a secret satisfaction that you were proved right, that your prediction was confirmed? You know, when, when, you, when you get frustrated with others and you're proven right, you get a little do- dose of dopamine. You know, and it's strangely motivating, but it's not the it's not useful to actually help other people. It's not useful to help you grow in any ideal. It's not useful for bonds. It's not useful. So it really is not a useful thing. But it's super common once you know to look for it. So just to have a little bit of skepticism when you get critical of others, try to see if you can own the growth instead of getting frustrated and then you know feeling energized by that. Instead, see, how can I really own this opportunity? Okay, Kevin, I'll be on the lookout. I promise. I will too. Uh, great. <laughs> well, Kevin, thanks so much for joining us, and we'll, we'll be back next week. Well, thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to check out OptumWork.com for a set of online tools to help you engage challenge in your life. See you next week. Thank you.